Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to this uh, Doctrine and Covenants podcast. Today's episode, if that's what it should be called, is uh, for section 35. I want to read a little bit of a preliminary historical documentary, whatever you want to call it, in, in the first part here. When the missionaries to the Lamanites arrived in the area around Kirtland, Ohio, in late October or early November 1830, they went to see Sidney Rigdon, Parley Pratt's teacher, friend, and former associate in the Reformed Baptist movement. Sidney was the minister to several congregations of Reformed Baptists in the Kirtland area and had been greatly influenced by the early teachings of Alexander Campbell, a famous Protestant theologian and minister who was a leader of the Reformed Baptist or Disciple Movement. These Protestant disciples, eventually to be called the Disciples of Christ in 1832, were ardently looking for a restoration of the New Testament gospel. When Sidney Rigdon formed a communal Christian society called The Family in August of 1830, However, it caused a break between Sidney and Alexander Campbell. When Sidney joined with the Latter-day Saints and accepted the Book of Mormon as inspired scripture, the break between them became irreparable. The missionaries had presented Sidney with a copy of the Book of Mormon, which he studied carefully for about two weeks. At the end of that time, he concluded the book was of God, and he was baptized on the 14th of November, 1830, in Mentor, Ohio. Through Sidney Rigdon, scores of others in his several congregations were also eventually converted. When the Lamanite missionaries continued on their way to Missouri, they ordained several elders in Kirtland, but apparently they left no single individual to preside over the new saints. This may have contributed to some of the spiritual confusion that developed among these members before Joseph Smith arrived in February, though John Whitmer had been sent from Fayette, New York, to preside over the church in Kirtland. In the meantime, Lyman White had acted as leader since the other elders had returned to their various homes, and Sidney Rigdon, together with El- Edward Partridge, a sincere investigator from nearby Painesville, Ohio, had traveled to New York to see the prophet Joseph Smith and inquire concerning the Lord's will for them. This section was received in response to their inquiry in Fayette, New York, sometime in early December 1830. Two early versions of Doctrine and Covenants 35 were printed in the Ohio Star, on the 5th of January, 1832, and in the Painesville Telegraph on the 17th of January, 1832. These both give the date of this revelation as the 7th of December, 1830. Lucy Maxmith, however, states that Sidney and Edward Partridge arrived at the Smith's new home in East Waterloo near Fayette the day before Edward was baptized. Since Partridge was baptized on the 11th of December, 1830, Lucy's account has them arriving on the 10th of December, thus conflicting with the 7th December date. The date of section 35 in all LDS printings has been given simply as as December, 1830. At the time Doctrine and Covenants 35 was given, Joseph Smith had already begun his inspired translation of the Bible, the Joseph Smith translation. In September of 1830, however, this main His main scribes, Oliver Cowdery and John Whitmer, were called on missions, leaving Joseph in need of a scribe when Sidney Rigdon arrived in December. Here's the heading to the chapter, to the section. Revelation given to Joseph Smith the prophet and Sidney Rigdon at or near Fayette, New York, December 7, 1830. At this time, the prophet was engaged almost daily in making a translation of the Bible. The translation was begun as early as June 1830, and both Oliver Cowdery and John Whitmer had served as scribes. 
Since they had now been called to other duties, Sidney Rigdon was called by divine appointment to serve as the prophet's scribe in this work. As a preface to the record of this revelation, Joseph Smith's history states, In December, Sidney Rigdon came from Ohio to inquire of the Lord, and with him came Edward Partridge. Shortly after the arrival of these two brethren, thus spake the Lord. Verse 1. Listen to the voice of the Lord your God, even Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, whose course is one eternal round. God governs by law, wholly, completely, and varyingly, and always. He has ordained that identical results always flow from the same causes. There is no respect of persons with him, and he is a being with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Hence, the Lord's course is one eternal round, the same today as yesterday <clears throat> and forever. And that was by Bruce R. McConkie. The same today as yesterday and forever. Verse 2. I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was crucified for the sins of the world, even as many as will believe on my name, that they may become the sons of God, even one in me, as I am in the Father, as the Father is one in me, that we may be one. A volume could be written about the truths announced in this verse, though it consists of but a single sentence. First, it introduces Jesus Christ as the source of the revelation indeed. Every revelation for the salvation of men must come through Jesus Christ, his being the only name under heaven whereby salvation can come. Second, it affirms that he is the Son of God. It is the divine inheritance obtained thereby that enabled him to lay down his life in our behalf and to take it up again. Third, it reminds us that he died for our sins, not for sins he committed. Indeed, he is our Savior, and we are saved by his goodness and grace. Fourth, it declares that the promise of salvation is only to those who choose to believe, not simply in him, but also in his name, meaning they will reverence and accept those that have been commissioned to act in his behalf. For Sidney Rigdon, that meant Joseph Smith. For us, it means his legal and lawful successors. Fifth, it further confines the blessings of salvation to those who become sons of God, meaning those who are born again and live according to the things of the Spirit. Sixth, it reminds us, as John taught, that Christ, in order to obtain his own salvation, had to become one with God. That is, he had to learn to think as God thinks, feel as God feels, and act as God acts. To do so is the system and process of salvation. No one who is unlike God can be saved. Thus, the obvious conclusion is then drawn that we must become one with Christ and thus one with the Father. This process of surrendering our will to that of our Father, as did Christ, constitutes the system and plan of salvation. We note with interest that the same principles given here in essentially the same order are developed in the lectures on faith. Some have credited Sidney Rigdon with the writing of these lectures. Such a conclusion overstates the role played by Elder Rigdon, though he did work closely with the prophet on them. The instruction in this verse may well have constituted a source of direction to them in that labor. And that was by Joseph Fielding McConkie. Verse 3, Behold, verily, verily, I say unto my servant Sidney, I have looked upon thee and thy works. I have heard thy prayers and prepared thee for a greater work. Thou art blessed, for thou shalt do great things. Behold, thou wast sent forth, even as John, to prepare the way before me, and before Elijah that should come, and thou knewest it not. Thou didst baptize by water unto repentance, but they received not the Holy Ghost. But now I give unto thee a commandment that thou shalt baptize by water, and they shall receive the Holy Ghost by the laying on of the hands, even as the apostles of old. Joseph Fielding Smith said, 
A great number of forceful, intelligent men who became leaders in the church had been gathered by Sidney Rigdon with the help of the Lord in this part of the land. Without any question, the Spirit of the Lord had rested upon these men, as it did on Sidney Rigdon and Parley P. Pratt, to direct them to gather in Kirtland at that early day. When, therefore, Parley P. Pratt, Ziba Peterson, and their companions came to Kirtland, they found the way prepared for them through the preaching very largely of Sidney Rigdon, so that it was not a difficult matter for these missionaries to convince this group of the truth. While Sidney was preaching and baptizing by immersion without authority, which the Lord informed him in this revelation, yet it all resulted in good when the gospel message reached them. These men were not only convinced and ready for baptism, but were in a condition by which the priesthood could be given them, and this was done. Verse 7, And it shall come to pass that there shall be a great work in the land, even among the Gentiles, for their folly and their abominations shall be made manifest in the eyes of all people. For I am God, and mine arm is not shortened, God's power is not slackened, and I will show miracles, signs, and wonders unto all those who believe on my name. And whoso shall ask it in my name, in faith, they shall cast out devils, they shall heal the sick, they shall cause the blind to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak, and the lame to walk. And the time speedily cometh that great things are to be shown forth unto the children of men, but without faith shall not anything be shown forth." except desolation upon Babylon, the same which has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This distinctive phrase appears in three sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. In each instance, it is used in connection with Babylon, representing the apostate world and church, or with the great church, the mother of abominations, representing the apostate church of the devil. Those who drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication participate in the worldly pleasures and sins of the apostate world and church, and thus will reap the desolations and and destruction that will come upon the wicked when they are judged. Verse 12, And there are none that doeth good except those who are ready to receive the fullness of my gospel, which I have sent forth unto this generation. Missionaries who go out to share the gospel meet many people who profess spiritual experiences. Such experiences are easily discerned by ascertaining their purpose. If the experience opens their hearts and minds to accept the fullness of the gospel when it comes to them, it is obviously of God. If, on the other hand, their purpose is to excuse themselves from any responsibility to accept additional light and truth and the blessings that come from it, their experiences obviously come from some other source. That was by Joseph Ealing McConkie. Verse 13, Wherefore I call upon the weak things of the world, those who are unlearned and despised, to thrash the nations by the power of my spirit. Who do you suppose might be those weak things that he's talking about? This principle was manifest in the calling of the unlearned boy, Joseph Smith, to be the servant of the Lord in restoring the fullness of the gospel in the latter days. When Sidney Rigdon first received the Book of Mormon and studied its contents, he was impressed by the fact that this powerful testament of Christ came through an unlearned man. Illustrating this point, A.W. Cowles records the following. After a few days, Cowdery returned and held a long interview with Rigdon. Rigdon had read a considerable portion of the book. He questioned Cowdery about Smith and found that he was entirely illiterate. Rigdon expressed the utmost amazement that such a man should write a book which seemed to shed a flood of light on all the old scriptures, open all their profoundest mysteries, and give them perfect consistency and complete system. In his fresh enthusiasm, he exclaimed that if God ever gave a revelation, surely this must be divine. Verse 14, And their arm shall be my arm, and I will be their shield and their buckler, and I will gird up their loins, and they shall fight manfully for me, and their enemies shall be under their feet, and I will let fall the sword in their behalf, and by the fire of mine indignation will I preserve them. 
Courage and faith will be the companion of every successful missionary. In June 1835, elders David W. Patton, Wilford Woodruff, and Warren Parrish were together preaching the gospel in Tennessee. A local sheriff arrested them on false pretenses at the urging of a Methodist priest. A mock trial was held in which the defendants were not allowed to say a word in their own behalf. They were pronounced guilty. Brother Patton, being filled with the Holy Ghost, arose to his feet and by the power of God bound them fast to their seats while he addressed them. He rebuked them sharply for their wicked and unjust proceedings. Brother Parrish afterwards said, My hair stood up straight on my head, for I expected to be killed. When Patton closed, the judge addressed him, saying, You must be armed with concealed weapons, or you would not treat an armed court as you have this. Patton replied, I am armed with weapons you know not of, and my weapons are the holy priesthood and the power of God. God is my friend, and he permits you to exercise all the power you have, and he bestows on me all the power I have. Saints in the area paid the court costs and the missionaries were set free. That evening, a heavenly messenger appeared to Elder Patton and warned him that the mob at the courthouse was in a rage because their prisoners had been freed. These brethren escaped unharmed by heeding this angelic warning. This was a quote by uh, Joseph Fielding McConkie. Verse 15, And the poor and the meek shall have the gospel preached unto them, and they shall be looking forth for the time of my coming, for it is nigh at hand. And they shall learn the parable of the fig tree, for even now already summer is nigh. And I have sent forth the fullness of my gospel by the hand of my servant Joseph. And in weakness have I blessed him. And I have given unto him the keys of the mystery of those things which have been sealed, even things which were from the foundation of the world, and the things which shall come from this time until the time of his coming, if he abide in me. And if not, another will I plant in his stead." Wherefore, watch over him, that his faith fail not, and it shall be given by the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, that knoweth all things. Doesn't this verse make it sound like uh, nobody's indispensable in the church, that the Lord always has somebody uh, that can take our place? That, however, is not the situation with the Savior. Uh, There was only one Savior to be, and Jesus was it. There was no plan B. Verse 20, And a commandment I give unto thee, that thou shalt write for him, and the Scriptures shall be given, even as they are in mine own bosom, to the salvation of mine own elect. Much in the Old and New Testaments has not come to us as it was originally penned. The promise here is that the spirit of revelation will rest upon the prophet with sufficient sureness to enable these ancient records to reflect those things that constitute the mind and will of the Lord. That was by Joseph Ely McConkie. The reference here is to the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, which will render the Bible the Bible to the church as it is in God's own understanding. This does not necessarily mean that the Joseph Smith translation will simply restore the original texts of the biblical books. It goes beyond that. The texts will be rendered as God himself wants us to understand them, corrected, adapted, edited, revised, and supplemented, especially for use of the saints in the latter days. In the Joseph Smith translation, Joseph sometimes corrected and added to what had been originally written to give us a more complete understanding than was possible even with the original text. For essentially the rest of his life at different intervals, the prophet Joseph, with Sidney's help, continued to work on the Joseph Smith translation. Not uh, long before Joseph's death, he he had planned to go back over the the, uh, manuscript again and make final corrections to the the Bible that he'd um, He'd he'd changed uh, with the inspired version, but he never finished it. Now, the church never published the inspired version, but it was in the hands of the reorganized church. And the Church of Christ today has the the inspired version of of the Bible that Joseph translated. Verse 21, For they will hear my voice, and shall see me, and shall not be asleep, and shall abide the day of my coming. For they shall be purified, even as I am pure." 
And now, as I say unto you, tarry with him, and he shall journey with you. Forsake him not, and surely these things shall be fulfilled. And inasmuch as ye do not write, behold, it shall be given unto him to prophesy, and thou shalt preach my gospel, and call on my holy prophets to prove his words as they shall be given. I wonder if that's where the title of the book uh, that the missionaries use comes from, Preach My Gospel. Hmm, curious. 24, keep all the commandments and covenants by which ye are bound, and I will cause the heavens to shake for your good, and Satan shall tremble, and Zion shall rejoice upon the hills and flourish. And Israel shall be saved in mine own due time, and by the keys which I have given shall they be, be led, and no more be confounded at all. And remember, this is before the, the keys of the gathering of Israel are restored. Uh, so this is prophetic here. Verse 26, lift up your hearts and be glad. Your redemption draweth nigh. Is this perhaps the most disobeyed commandment among faithful Latter-day Saints? Often, even the most faithful members have difficulty obeying the commandment of the Lord to rejoice, be glad, and fear not. Whether through lack of understanding or lack of faith, they resist the joy that should already be theirs, and they continue to fear for their place in the kingdom. <clears throat> if you are worthy to partake of the sacrament or if endowed to go to the temple, then reread the assurances of verses 26 and 27 and be glad. Verse 27, fear not, little flock, the kingdom is yours until I come. Behold, I come quickly, even so, amen. Now, this was given uh, almost a couple hundred years ago. Uh, his coming quickly in his view is different than ours. It doesn't mean to come soon necessarily, but when he does come, it will be, it'll be in, a quick, in quick succession. I bear testimony of the truth of these things and hope that this is helpful in understanding better about what's going on with the history of the church at the time and uh, the translation of the Bible that's happening here with Joseph and Sidney. I bear testimony of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.